All right, welcome back to another episode of the Life Unhindered Podcast. I'm your co-host, Gary Schroeder, along with my beautiful wife, Julie Schroeder. And in today's episode, we thought we would, we're kind of looking back at the last 12 to 18 months of our journey towards reaching financial independence, and we wanted to talk through some of the principles that we believe that if anybody follows these, um, it'll set you up or enhance your ability uh, and likelihood of reaching financial independence independence early. Um, We are uh, in the journey. We're not somebody kind of talking to you from the rearview mirror. So on one hand, that's probably good because we're we're in the fight, we're learning, we're making mistakes. And on the other hand, you know, if we if you talk to us in a year or two years from now, maybe we have a different set of principles. But so far, these are the ones that we believe are have been most important to us. Uh, they're not laws, they're not universal rules, but for us, they've been super important. And to keep this kind of fun for us, we each wrote down, um, you know, between four and six different principles or lessons learned or things like that. Um, but we didn't tell each other what we actually wrote down. So there could be significant overlap. Uh, there could be things that are like wildly different, but I think it'll be fun for all of us. So I think without further ado, we'll just jump in. You want to start? Sure. So my first one on the list was basically just an overarching um, guideline is just spending less and saving more. And I didn't really go into a lot of detail because that's pretty self-explanatory. And I'm just going to go right into my second one because that's almost like a a caveat to it, which is um, figuring out where your money's going and how much is coming in, which is basically setting your budget. I think that is the first key, most important principle, because then that will allow you to figure out where you can save more and um, what, uh, where you can spend less. Yeah, so I think it's an interesting one to start with because I don't know about you listening, but I know for many people, as well as for me for a long time, you're kind of looking for a shortcut. You're looking for a hack. You're looking for some pixie dust to sprinkle on your situation to make it magically better. Um, And I know a lot of people online and other arenas, they know a ton more than we do about a lot of different real estate investing or stock market investing and can get very, um, let's just use the word sophisticated, um, although I could use maybe a more negative term. Um, But we'll just, they have the appearance of sophistication, I guess you could say. But if you look at a lot of the popular folks or the people that have reached financial independence in their 30s or early 40s online that have become a little more popular, 100% of them did it by just what Julie just talked about, saving more than you spend. And a lot of this is going to dovetail into other points that I have too, but I just, I think it's worth camping out on this a little bit because it's, there's no magic in terms of what you actually do, there's no magic to it. The magic is actually doing it, is actually being disciplined enough to save more than you spend. And in terms of concrete numbers, and this this for us at least, for me, this entire journey has been a um, like shake your head around and around against like what you thought was normal or typical and say, um, no, maybe that's actually not normal or typical. And so as a concrete example, I remember early 
in my career, or even as, as you know, five years ago, we had um, financial planners come into my work. And those these are the kind of folks that come in and basically just set you up with like a 401k, but they'll try to give you some basic guidance. And the guidance they gave us at the time, and it, this is the guidance that is given in basically every corporation in America, is that you'll be you you are ahead of the ahead of the curve, ahead of the class. You are doing outstanding if you save fifteen percent, one five. Ninety um, percent of the employees that I worked with weren't saving more than five. It was like five to ten. Uh, I remember one colleague in particular was was quite a quite boastful that he was saving fifteen percent. Um, and then you start getting into basically another universe or another realm of these people that are reaching financial independence, and they start talking about saving fifty percent, not fifteen, but fifty five zero. So fifty cents of every dollar is being saved, and that doesn't necessarily mean a savings account, but you're not consuming it. Then you start people get the people that are talking sixty percent, seventy five percent. Some go as extreme as ninety percent. And obviously, your ability to do that depends on a lot of things. Income is one of them. Um, but I wouldn't focus too much on income. Um, focus more probably on expenditures. And that's what Julie was talking about uh, with her second point about budgets. But my point is just commenting on that. And of course, like I said, I didn't know Julie was going to put that down. But it's a full mind shift. Like save more than you spend is the root of all of this, but the journey to where you get to you where you can save fifty percent or sixty percent um, is depending on the person and depending on your background of like consumerism or how much you've what your lifestyle was before, how much debt you had, etc. Um, can be quite a a difficult yet incredibly rewarding journey. Anything else on budgets? I've got one on budgets later on. We can come back to it. But I have another one that's somewhat related, drilling down into some of the specifics and how we actually um, made that happen for us. Let's but, come back to it. Okay. Okay. So number one slash number two, save more than you spend and set a budget. But we'll come back to the budgets in a little bit because I have one and then Julie has some more specifics. So um, I'll jump to me. Um the first one I have is I actually think it is the most important principle for all of this, yet I fully get that it's it's hard to grasp the specifics or the the tangible, but it, I think it's the root of everything and it's like it's be intentional and experiment aggressively. And so I have some other like notes beneath that it says reconsider everything. Know your why behind what you do and don't do. And I think this dovetails into what I was just commenting on. Like, be intentional, which is very much involved in reconsidering. I said everything. That sounds grandiose. But just if you know your situation, which we'll get into when we talk about budgeting, then you then you can be able to say you, you know the information that says, I save this percentage per month. Well, if you're going to be intentional and you're going to reconsider, you would reconsider that percentage. Maybe it's the absolute perfect percentage for you, or maybe it's not. And you know that conventional wisdom is retire at 65 or 67, at least in, in, in the USA. Um, 
obviously this the whole punch line or the whole goal of like our journey in this podcast is like we we've reconsider that and think that that's not what we want to do um we have to spend $150 on a cell phone each month we'll reconsider that um i have to spend a certain amount on money um i have my my 5 year old has to go to an ivy league kindergarten right i i have to buy a new car every five years. Like these are kind of, and often not not universally, but they're often considered as this is just what you do. Like why would you even question it? But my point here is like I think we should question everything. That doesn't mean you arrive at a different answer or a different conclusion, but at least, and this is the key word for me, is like you're intentional. You absolutely you know why you're taking the steps you're taking. I don't know like what we would have said like our goals were financially like even a few months before like we definitively said we're going to start on this journey like do you remember what we were we had discussed the idea of a base which is a home that we would set we would pay off because we had explored the ideas of tiny houses and not having a mortgage um, prior to that actual decision of going towards financial independence, we had, um, that was the only goal I think that we had in mind. And then actually when we ran the numbers and um, we were like, oh, that's going to take so many years to actually do that. I think we kind of put it on a back burner as even being a possibility. But other than that, I can't think of any other else. Yeah. So, I mean, so things to reconsider is how much you spend and what you spend it on. And we'll have a whole series on expenses and things. But another thing that we've reconsidered is, you know, you you have to, if you want to travel and uh, explore different destinations with the family, it, it has to cost you thousands and thousands of dollars a year. Like, not true. Um, so, anyways, maybe that's that's enough for intentional. The other thing I would say that I embedded sort of a two for one is this word and Julie gives me a hard time for these statements, but experiment aggressively. I think I've said that. What did I say in the past? Aggressive experimentation, something like that. Um, and, um, definite deliberation. I can't remember what I said, but just this notion of experimenting and, a lot of times you might hear something like I just said that people save 50% of their income. And if you get to some later points that we talk about and you do a budget and you figure out you're saving 3% or you're saving 0% or you're saving negative percent because you're actually living above your means and you're going into debt every month. Um, you might hear something like that and you either could dismiss it as being not possible. You could dismiss it as saying people are lying or you could just say, I think they're, whether they're telling the truth or not, that's something I'd like to do. And let me just see if it's possible. What is the the least risky experiment I can do to see if I can save 50% per month? Maybe it's like, it's an insane goal. And these are, these are seemingly insane goals if you're, if you're you know, saving nothing per month. But what if you just said, okay, I don't have, I don't have to drive a car next month for 30 days. I'm not going to drive my car. If that's impossible for for 30 days, I'm going to eat rice and beans and some other, you know, we don't eat like that. I'm just giving you as an example. It's like you don't have to make definite decisions that are going to last the rest of your life. It's just an experiment. It's like let's test 
Like basically do something, test out something, and then learn from it. Um, we did that with our cell phone. We won't get into the details here, I guess, but we had a hypothesis. We wanted an experiment. We said we're trying to reconsider things. And we said, I don't, we don't think it's like necessary. We're required to spend $150 on a cell phone per month. So we made a change and it's funny looking back. I don't know how you feel, but like for me, it's like funny. Cause like it was kind of emotionally difficult to like switch a cell phone plan we said, okay, let's just, what's the worst case? Okay, the worst case is like this pl- new plan doesn't work for us. And we go back to the other one. And it's a headache because we spent time uh, switching over and things like that. A little bit of disruption in daily life. But like, let's just do an experiment. I don't remember if we said 30 days or 90 days. We had a, a certain period of time. We'll see how it works out. And now that's our go forward cell phone plan. And we, we like, only spend like 20 to $30 per month on the usage that we do. So that like little experiment, which took a little bit of a emotional capital, if you will, you know, reduced our, our bill by 80%, 150 down to 30. So just a little bit on experimentation, anything else you would add or jump to the next one? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess mine kind of goes into the next one a little bit. It was in ways to save. So that was one example that I had was in our cell phone Um, but just because when you're considering kind of the possibility of things that you could consider, sometimes it's nice to have a few concrete examples. And so, I mean, over the past few years, we've had a few things that we've done, um, and kind of, I guess in the same way principles, but I wanted to add some specifics to these principles and ways to save was, you know, you build something over buying it new and, um, along the way, you usually are picking up skills. And so one skill that we learned was woodworking. And so one example is we, uh, we built our kitchen table. So we just moved. We decided we wanted a different kitchen table. We didn't want to bring our old one. We sold our old one and we built one uh, with wood. So it cost us about a hundred dollars and I don't know how many hours of work, but it really didn't take that much time. Um, Gary's been learning the skill of woodworking and he's teaching me as he goes, but it's saving us money. Um, we have invested in some tools, but now we can use those tools to build anything. And actually we've bought, we've actually built a lot of other furniture. Whenever we need something, we consider how we can build it versus going out and buying it. And if you've ever gone out and shopped for an actual real wood table, and they cost north of $500. And if you go to the really fancy places, you're looking at thousands of dollars for a real wood table. So it does save you a lot of money if you can spend a little time to learn how to build yourself and to build things yourself. Um, another skill I picked up with cro- was crocheting. So I built, I make my own scarves, I make my own hats, and I actually make them as gifts. And I could do probably a whole series on making your own gifts and saving money that way too. Um, but that was just a little example. Um, one other thing we did is repairing over hiring. So we put in a new kitchen sink. Gary learned how to take out an old sink and put in a new one. Uh, we learned about plumbing. We learned about, um, you know, which tubes go where. And uh, we learned, we actually learned a lot and it was a lot of fun. Um, frustrating at sometimes, but we definitely saved money by doing it ourselves. And then the last one I had here was uh, repairing things instead of discarding them and buying new things. So when your pants get a hole in them or something rips, um, can you sew it? And if you don't know how to sew, it's actually not too hard, but it's another skill that you could pick up and you can repair. I've actually repaired chairs. I repaired my kids' shoes. I repaired jeans that have holes in them. Um, I've actually made my own jean shorts out of you know old jeans I didn't wear anymore. So that saves us money too. So those are just some examples along ways to save and different things you could do. How did you like develop that 
mindset shift. You know, you said like making instead of buying or repairing instead of discarding those kind of things. Like how did that process work? If you like, or what are some of the ways you could, if someone else says, yeah, that sounds great, but I have no idea how to start. Like what the heck do you do with like a saw and what, you know, what would you say? Well, I mean, I think you started learning those skills and kind of brought me into it in the way of learning the woodworking. But I think for the most part, um, I went to YouTube and just searched. Actually, that's how I learned how to crochet is I just went and searched YouTube videos. I was bored a couple, you know, for a few weeks and I just wanted to pick up a new skill and I wanted to try it and actually only watched a few videos and I, I figured it out. And I think Gary did a similar things in terms of picking up new skills, but, um, yeah, I just watched videos, did research online, talked to people. Actually had some, anytime we had to hire somebody because we couldn't figure it out, I would just pepper them with questions and I would learn from them. So all the all the mechanics and all the people that actually came to our house, I was usually the one there and Gary wasn't there. And so I would be asking them all sorts of questions and I would just be gaining knowledge from them. So I used everyone I could as a resource to learn so that next time I knew what to do. Yeah, you can basically learn anything you want on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, if if you have the interest. Yeah. Um I want to geek out for a second based on what you just said um because I think this is like it depends on like your level of like Julie is making funny geeking out faces at me. Um so on one hand you could say like uh is like crocheting like really going to get me to like retire at 35 or something Um, but just to like just this sort of higher level principle here and again you can fast forward through this if this is too weird or geeky but um, obviously like if you want to retire you have to make enough money such that the investments the interest that you're earning from those investments cover all of your living expenses in order to make money you have to work you can start a business, you can sell things, but you have to you have to work. You can be an employee, etc. Working, what working is, is you are exchanging human capital for financial capital. Your human capital is your labor. This is like ec- economics 101, but like your labor and your skills, you're exchanging that for financial capital. You're exchanging that for money. So you go to a job, you're a teacher, your doctor, whatever your profession is, uh, you're, you're, you're doing some labor and then they're giving you money for it. And you want to get to a point where you have exchanged enough human capital for financial capital and you've kept enough of that financial capital that you can, that you no longer have to make that exchange. You can basically make a reverse transaction where the, the financial capital that you've saved up causes you or enables you to no longer have to engage in, in human capital for exchanging your human capital for financial capital. That is retirement from like a geeked out economics term. Well, the reason I'm mentioning it now is because in relation to what Julie just said, every time that if you just think about everything you have to spend money on, it is you're doing you're you're doing the reverse side. So on one side of the equation, you go to a job, you're exchanging your human capital, and then they give you financial capital. Well, on the other side of it, for a plumber or a car mechanic, even even your house in, in, a, in, a, in, a, way, in a more complicated way, um, your food, 
you are exchanging your financial capital for somebody else's human capital. So for your house, you know, there's obviously the people that made the house and then there's people that were involved in the transaction of the house and the people that lent the money, but that's their human capital. And so every single month, you are exchanging your financial capital that you earn through your human capital, but you're exchanging it for their human capital. Same with the plumber. The plumber comes and gives you his human capital or her human capital. You give them financial capital. Why geek out on this? Well, if you can, over time, you can't do this universally, but the more skills you learn over time, then the less you actually have to exchange your financial capital for someone else's human capital. You, because you have the skill set to do it, you can exchange your human capital to fix the problem. You employ, if you will, your own skill set, your own labor, your own human capital to fix your own problems, which enables you to keep your human capital, keep your financial capital and grow it to earn more money to enable you to keep doing that, which for a lot of people that are in like kind of five financial independence community for us, for sure, um, that actually gives us much more fulfillment and it gives us things that uh, you can't actually replace. What that gives us is a, like learning how to basic plumbing for a sink. We increased or enhanced our human capital so we didn't have to exchange it for a financial capital. That gave us two things. They gave us, well, maybe multiple things. It gave us a certain skill set, which gave us a certain level of confidence, of self-reliance, and it actually gave us, ultimately, more time. Now, we had to spend a lot of time figuring it out along the way, but if you just actually figured out how much time would I or Julie have to be engaged in work and employed by someone else, uh, again, making that exchange of human capital for financial capital, how many hours or how many days, how many weeks, depending on the purchase, would you have had to do that uh, in order to get sufficient financial capital to make that exchange, to pay for that plumber, or to pay for that car, to pay for whatever it is. So I don't know if that makes it made sense to anybody, but that was that's a huge mind shift. The more and more skills that you can acquire um, over the years, and it's fun for us. It's not like a, a chore. It can obviously be frustrating when you're trying to fix something, but it's 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 like amazing when you learn a new skill mm-hmm. and you look under your kitchen sink and it's no longer a mystery to you. Um, I want to do that for vehicles. I don't know much about vehicles, but so like right now, if something happened on one of our vehicles, other than like an oil change or something, I have to I have to rely on somebody else. I have to rely on their human capital and then go and you know get more financial capital myself in order to give it to them to fix that problem. Down the road, you pick up that skill, you learn something slowly over time, uh, then you don't have to make that transaction. So does that make sense? Yes, makes sense to me. Okay. <laughs> um, my turn or your turn? Your turn. What I have here is um, start with the end in mind. And the note I have is write out your life as if you were financially independent today. So the reason I think this is worthwhile, and if you actually write it out or not, I don't really care. But Julie and I, and maybe I prodded her to do this like many times over the years, but it was basically like, if we're considering something, and let's just keep it focused on financial independence, like if we had this today, if we had all the numbers we want to hit, what would, what would, what would you do today? 
what would your ideal day be like if you had this now? Um, I think this is really a really good exercise, and it's not a one one and done kind of a thing. You do it periodically. I've just seen so many people, my family is who I'm kind of thinking about, where if you, you know, they're kind of the traditional path, you know, retire in their 60s. And if you ask them, like, well, and I, I did that with some family members years ago, like, if you could, what are you going to do when you retire? They sort of just give you this, like, it's not cynical, but it's um like a flippant response. It just is like, oh, I'll, I'll do whatever I want. And that's fine. I mean, people to each their own. But really what that told me is they hadn't actually thought about it. They were just sort of like on this treadmill of work because they quote unquote had to be. And they just knew that if they got to this finish line arbitrarily sometime in their 60s, then life was going to get a lot better. And I'm not saying that people that retire in their 60s don't have a great life. None of that. But it's just, again, my previous point about being intentional. Just It's just like know what makes you happy and what are the things you're driving towards or striving for just write out write out with the end in mind and don't even think about a timeline if it five years 10 years 30 years it doesn't matter just like what is that life what is that ideal even just focus on one day it's like it's kind of intimidating if you say like what is my what do I want my ideal life to be just focus on one day what time do you wake up what do you do first thing what do you do? Like, just write out one day. The The enlightening thing about that is it gives you purpose. It gives you intention. But for me, what it did was I looked at it and said, wow, 80% of the things that I just wrote down, I can do right now. I can do right now. Um, many of them, they were like, I can do them in full. Some of them were, I can do them now, I just can't devote as much time to them as I would like to. Like for me, I, I like to want to wake up early. Um, Julie and I are Christians, so I want to read some, read some of the Bible. I can do that now. Um, I want to get a workout in because like physical health is important. Um, I can do that now. Um, and this is where it gets into, I, I can't spend as much time now because I'm working as I would like to, but... I'm I'm a person that likes to learn new things and I I can focus fairly intensely on something but only for a few months. And so my ideal day after that after like waking up, eating breakfast, spending time with the family, kids go to school is I go spend, you know, I've I've penciled it in anywhere from 3 to 4 hours focusing on a new skill. That could be jiu-jitsu. Uh, usually the way I've done it is like one physical and one mental, but it could be jiu-jitsu. Uh, it could be some other type of fighting. It could be firearms. It could be fishing. It could just be like reading history. There's different things. I just get into things and like somehow I, I don't even know how I got into it, but now I'm into it and it's like got me super jazzed and I'm like, I want to get into it. Um, and then like in the afternoon, language, language learning, learning um, instruments. These are all kinds of things that like when I look at like what would, this would be my ideal day and not in whole, but at least in part. I can do all of that, like all of that right now. I can't leave and take three weeks to travel the country, but we can still take smaller trips. Anyways, I don't mean to be rambling, but this exercise of starting with the end in mind is really clarifying and it illuminates not only what you want to do whenever you reach financial independence and you have the time, 
you know, that you didn't have while you were working. But it, it could very well be that a lot of things you write down, um, you're able to do today. And so that can be a little scary because right away, all the excuses are out the window. All these, well, I can't do this because I have to work so much. They all go out the window, which actually is a really, really good thing. So I'll stop, pass the ball over to you unless you have something else on that. Um, no, I probably need to spend more time thinking about that. Of course, I'm a full-time mom, so I'm fairly busy right now. And honestly, I probably would, I'm still going to be a mom, but I'm sure I'll just jump into what Gary is doing. Cause that's, Being a full-time mom is busy? It's a little busy, yeah. It's like two hours a day? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, I'm going to jump into my next point, which was, um, I, I don't know where it fits in exactly, but I think it's important. And I think, um, it's been something that we've been learning even before we started this journey. Uh, Gary started kind of on a mission of decluttering our house and what it kind of boiled down to is this, um, as being happy and content with what you have. And for me, that's been kind of a journey over the, the past, I don't know, five years maybe is, um, you I don't know if this is everybody, but this is me. And I don't think I'm alone in this, but a lot of times we are striving towards something and we are looking for something to make us happy. And a lot of times that's something we don't have. And maybe it's, um, you know, freedom. And that's something that we're striving towards. But in that process, there's things along the way that you may discover about yourself that um, you hold to that make you happy. And it's it's not necessarily always what you have. You don't actually appreciate what you have. And I think learning the lesson on how to appreciate what you have and being content with what you have um, in a really simple way is an important part of this journey because if you're a person that is, is your happiness is founded on buying new things, then reaching this goal is going to be a big challenge for you because, um, the, um, it's almost a drug. I mean, spending money is a drug. And I've actually been doing some research on that lately that there are, um, you know, 10 top most addictive things and shopping is right up there in the top five. And so, um, if you're an American, it's just kind of in our culture that you spend, you buy new things. It gives you this feeling of euphoria. Um, but if you are not content with what you have and your happiness is driven on buying new things, then this is going to be a struggle. And you actually will look around your house and realize how many things do I have that surround me that really just occupy not only space in my house, which requires me to buy a bigger house when I probably don't need it. Um, I have a storage unit full of stuff that I haven't used in five years. And this was like the whole declutter mindset that we kind of shifted into. But I think coupled with that is you appreciate what you have, you get rid of what you don't need, you don't buy things you don't need, and you really only are left with what makes you happy and the essentials. And so that was one point I wanted to mention because that came up when I was just thinking about my journey personally going through this process of being content with what you have. Yeah, this is a, sort of a, to me it's a funny story around that is uh, there's this book, it's it's actually like blown up and like become kind of kind of famous a little bit. Um, and the full title escapes me, but it's basically something about the art like, of decluttering. No, like the like the like joy of being like tidying up or something like that. Oh, I don't know. It's um by a, a Japanese lady, I think. But 
one of the things in that book when I read it, and I just totally was like, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard. Um, and I don't know if it's like a male thing or just anyways, the whole like you just get on a certain track and your way of thinking and you never reconsider. But one of the things was, I mean, there's a whole system and I recommend that book. But one of the things the author talked about was as you're decluttering your house, as an example, and basically you're getting getting rid of things. Um, and just a little pro tip here, like when in doubt, throw it out um, instead of like having like 75 like really nicely organized like storage bins all over the place like maybe get rid of like the stuff that is required to fill up 30 of those but anyways she would say as you're getting rid of things and let's just stick with clothes because this is the kind of the epiphany I had um, she said you should evaluate as you're going through your clothes when you look at each article of clothing you should look at it and ask does this thing give me joy and when I read that, I was like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, it's a shirt. Like, what the heck is a shirt? How, what? Like, what? It just, it covers you. What do you? Okay, so then I said, well, let me, like, put my, like, ego in check. Let me put my way of thinking in check and just say, like, well, let me actually try this. And then I was actually going through socks at the time. And I would get a pair of socks and I have these and I still have them now. But I would have these, like sports socks like they were like puma socks from like costco i think right and like one one part like i had like two different types like at one point like we we got some of these socks that didn't have this like charcoal thing on the heel and then another part we got this ones that they had this like charcoal coloring on the heel and like when i looked at the pair that didn't have the charcoal on the heel i was like that doesn't give me joy and i looked at the sock I looked at the socks that had charcoal on the heel, and I said, wow, I feel so much happier. I'd rather put those on than this other pair. And it was just crazy towns. And so then, obviously, there's a question of, like, what do you, if you actually go through that exercise and it's helpful for you, then it's like, what do you do with the things that didn't give you joy? And, of course, there's, you know, ways to donate things, either to friends or family or things like that. That's what we ended up doing. But it was kind of an interesting exercise going through clothes where you're like, I haven't worn this in six months or a year and I don't like it. If you, whatever language you want to use, if the whole joy thing trips you up, find something else. Like just don't like it. It doesn't make you happy. Like you don't think you look good in it, whatever. But I would see shirts. I'm like, that doesn't give me joy. And, but I don't want to get rid of it because I spent this much money or as a gift or whatever. But I don't know if that is directly related to what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it's like, be happy with what you have and just be very intentional about the things you do have that actually make you happy and the things that don't. Um, maybe that's it. Just yeah. a funny story. Yeah. It definitely guides your spending if you do that exercise because then you don't mindlessly buy things just for the sake of buying them. You're very intentional, like Gary had mentioned before, on what it is you actually need and purchase it, what you like, what makes you happy, not just what's on sale. And going through the wardrobe is, after he did that and he read, you know, he told me what he was doing, then I started doing the same thing and I actually went through this whole exercise of figuring out, 
You know, what colors actually look good on me? I don't like patterns. I don't buy clothes with patterns because actually I don't like them. And so it was kind of an interesting process. But now like shopping for me is very simple because I only buy certain colors. I only buy certain styles and I only buy certain patterns because those are the ones I actually like. And I'd never actually done that exercise. So it was very, it was rewarding because I actually like everything in my closet now. And my closet is a fourth of the size it used to be because I don't need all the other stuff that I used to have in there. Yeah, real quick, just one final thing on this. Something Julie just said that I, I think is worth re, re-mentioning or mentioning again, maybe in every podcast. She said something that she said, you don't just buy things just because they're on sale. And that's that might be counter to what people are thinking when you're talking about reaching financial independence. Um, there's, there's this paradigm shift where it's you're being intentional um, about the thing Whatever, however, whatever language you want to use, but you're being intentional about the thing that makes you happy or brings you joy. Um, that doesn't mean the most expensive thing, and it doesn't mean the cheapest thing. Um, it's just you're being intentional about it. You might get into financial independence, as we've said several times in the podcast, and you start going into crazy penny pinching mode, and you're like, "I'm not spending money on anything," you know. Um, but then you realize that. Uh, you're in a colder climate like we are in the winter and like, no, it actually makes a whole lot of sense to spend extra money on a good winter coat that's light that, I mean, you like it and it's warm and everything, but what it has different features that is going to make the quality of your life in those winter months like 10x greater. But whenever you look at that first price tag, you're thinking, no way, man, I'm reaching financial independence by the time I'm 30. You would never do that. Um, but it's just, anyways, it's being more intentional about, hey, I'm going to spend whatever the amount of money is on this article of clothing uh, or whatever piece of equipment or whatever it is. And I'm okay with that because it's going to give like this, it's going to be useful. Uh, it's going to make me happy, etc. Again, just being intentional. Mm-hmm. Your turn. My turn. Okay, so um, we can have a whole long discussion about this. I'll just bring it up and it'll point back to something Julie mentioned earlier, but I just have data over gut feelings. And I just put my, the notes I have are data driven budgets. And then I have, it's just math plus take the emotion out of it. And so I'll comment a little bit and then we can come back to Julie's earlier point about budgets. But um, you want to get to a point I th- or I think it would be valuable to get to a point where you're just looking at the data and you're letting the numbers speak for themselves. So a couple of concrete examples. Julie mentioned budgets earlier. She'll give you some concrete examples. I think she said she had about our budget process or things you save money on. But what I, the phrase I wrote down are data-driven budgets. Because if I asked you today, if you're at our dinner table, and I asked you, you know, what's your, what's your monthly budget? Most people, like some people will say, I have no idea for sure. But most people, because they want to sound like they're on top of things and they know they've heard from somewhere at some point that a budget is important. Um, and we actually knew each other well enough to talk about what our monthly budgets are. They probably might, they might throw a number out. Um, I think the vast majority of folks like that are just going off gut feeling. They're just sort of like winging it and sort of saying like, yeah, I spent about this much because they know most people know what sort of the general income level is. And like, they say, yeah, I spent about this much, Um, but they really don't know. 
because they really haven't tracked it. They don't know what the total budget for that month is. They don't know what the line items are. Um, they don't like grocery bill, cell phone bill, gasoline, insurance, car insurance, home insurance, health insurance. They don't know. And so I always recommend 90 days. Like even as a first step is like all you should do for the first 90 days is just track everything that goes out the door or out of the bank account. Like what gets measured gets managed. You can't manage it. You can't manage it towards an early retirement if you don't even measure the things that are that are going out. And so that's that's really, I think, step one. Related to that, what I put in here is take the emotion out of it. Um, we could comment on this and have, again, podcast on this. Money is is like one of those things that is so, it's so weird, but it's so real that people will just get insanely emotional about it. Um, that emotion that emotions could be anxiety because you don't have enough or you're drowning in debt. Uh, it could be pride because you think you have a lot. Um, it could be jealousy because you think someone else has more than you do. I mean, whatever emotions you could think of, sadness because you just lost some of it, anger. It, I mean, it's just like so much emotion wrapped up in money. And it's it's just a number. They're important numbers. They're numbers because they enable you to do other things. But that's an exercise that, again, you have to be intentional and experiment your way into how do I detach emotion from all things money? Mm-hmm. One more thing I'll stop on and then I'll pass it over to you is that I don't know if it's a personality thing or a generational thing, but related to data driving uh, financial decisions for us, we absolutely prefer and recommend going with what are, what people sometimes sometimes call robo investors or robo advisors we use a company called wealthfront it's like with anything everybody has like an insane amount of opinions and different ways to argue for and against all these kind of things for us it really works it's al- algorithmic driven uh, portfolio management in other words we set out what our goals are we set out what our strategies are and the software behind the company we use is wealth wealthfront but there's others out there you know choose what works for you or experiment into each one of them to see if it works for you but it's automatically doing certain things according to our strategy without actually a, a human on the other side thinking like is it time to buy is it time to sell you know the stereotypical wall street guy with the you know suspenders and big cigar like it's none of that we have other family members that have that have used human sounds funny, human, like financial advisors. And it's been, if I had three thumbs, I would put all three of them down. It's like two thumbs down on every stretch, like every, every, every criteria, it was just bad. And so far we've been at this with Wealthfront um, for three and a half or four years. And we just love it. Um, I, I know exactly the full picture of our portfolio at any given time. I know per, I know individual stocks that were, were bought and were sold. I know daily, weekly, monthly, any kind of performance over time. I know what my risk profile is. I can adjust it. Um, it's just at your fingertips. So you have full transparency and full visibility. Um, but it's, again, it's data-driven, driven, it's data science-driven within that company. Um, there's so many other tools like I could talk about some which we use, but it's just a principle. 
gather the data and let the data help you make decisions. Don't go off gut feel and don't throw your hard-earned money at some financial advisor that is a full black box that you have no idea what's going on. Yeah, 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 son, we'll take care of you. Don't worry. We've been doing it for 35 years. Yeah, um, don't, don't do that. Don't go to them if they can't explain exactly. Here's the, to the individual stock, to the individual asset cal- allocation, to the overall beta of your entire portfolio. If this makes no sense to you, don't worry about it. But if, if they can't give you the individual details of your entire portfolio, I would recommend walking away. Um, you want to have full visibility, full transparency, and I think you would want to have an algorithmic approach to overall portfolio management. Okay. I had one comment on that, not necessarily re- related to that piece of it, but the the first part that you were talking about in terms of money, go at it in a non-emotional state, which is definitely more challenging if you are in a relationship and you're the female. Um, men are just more objective about things, I feel like, in general. But I know for us, it was more of a challenge for me to even have these conversations because First of all, I spend most of the money. I had no idea what I was spending and actually looking at the budget caused a lot of anxiety for me because I felt like I was going to be judged on what I was spending the money on. But I think uh, we made a lot of breakthroughs. And I think if you are a couple, um, this is something that you can you can strengthen your relationship through this because I think a lot of relationships can get strained over money. And so if you come together and have some real breakthroughs in these, in these areas, it can actually strengthen your relationship because your goals become more aligned. Everything is more transparent. And actually I think both parties, um, there's just a lot more ease in talking about it. And we've definitely, I think broken through a lot of barriers in that topic, just because now we have actual goals that we're both aligned with and striving towards. How did we break through? Well, we just talked about it more and made real budgets. And we, I mean, the breakthrough maybe was more on my side than yours, but just being a lot less emotionally attached to it because having a goal helped me rein in my own spending. And it really forced me to do a lot more searching on my side of how I spend money and made me analyze how I spend money. And I think that helped our relationship because I wasn't so defensive when you would bring things up. You got defensive? I got defensive. So yes, that definitely happened. (laughs) But um, I think maybe I just have, I had two here, but I think I'm just going to mention one because I think most of my points have been around uh, spending money. But this one was just kind of a fun one I thought of because it's something that I feel like we've been doing more of lately is finding fun and free entertainment. Hmm. Um, so, you know, people spend a lot of money on entertainment um, from, you know, really expensive TVs and cable packages to, you know, extravagant trips and um, or even just a trip to the movie theaters, honestly, can be pretty expensive these days. So finding ways to um, have fun as a family, but you don't have to spend a ton of money. So obviously we live in an area where there's a lot of outdoor activities and we love outdoor activities. So we're kind of taking advantage of the the different things that we can do here um, that don't require a ton of uh, money to go do them, such as hiking or fishing. You may invest here and there in some gear, um, but that kind of leads into one of my other points. I kind of was going to mention about instead of buying new stuff, there's a lot of options out there to buy used. Since I'm the one that does most of the shopping, I always check eBay 
I check Craigslist. I check local thrift stores for certain things. Other things I buy brand new, but um, some things I'll look and just see if I can find a better deal out there. Um, you just online shopping, I think, is a great way to go. I feel like going into actual stores is a waste of time and money because they never have what you want and you can't actually compare prices. So online shopping can be um, a good way to look for things that will enable um, outdoor activity like hiking boots or trekking poles or fishing poles or um, sleds, different things like that. So we did that, some of that this winter, some sledding and it was fun and it didn't cost a lot. You just basically find a hill with some snow on it. So we had a good time doing that. Did you have any others specifics? Yeah, I've got one more. Um, I'll mention this. This is an area that we, um, haven't made as much progress as we will, um, over, over the next period of time. But it is, I just have the word diversify. And there's a couple of different things related to this. And this is, a lot of these principles, they're, they're at the strategy perspective. So like the individual tactics for anything that we've talked about, you know, may be very different than what we actually do. Um, but when I say diversify, I mean a couple of different things. The first one, of course, is when you talk about your investment portfolio, you want them diversified. Other you know, people will colloquially is that the word say don't keep all your eggs in one basket basically just think you want them like you want a sufficient number of your assets to be inversely correlated what does that mean like just means like if the market goes down or one set of investments go down another will go up that's like a very simplified way of doing it but if you have a company like wealthfront or someone else they'll they'll diversify a lot for you um that's not really what I was referring to here, though, although that's really important. The other one, there's two different things here. Um, one is, um, well, three other things. One is diversify your income sources. So this is something that we have a goal to increase as we're journeying towards financial independence and then even after we reach financial independence. So right now, um, you know, you have we have income sources that are coming from investments. Those just automatically get reinvested at this point because we're just trying to accumulate, you know, as much as we can at this point. We have, but primarily we have like my job. And if you just look at your overall risk, uh, and you're talking about back it to eggs and baskets, like all of our eggs or all of our trust so much like 95, 98% of all the plans financially speaking that we have are dependent on my job or me earning an income, whether it's this company or a different one. Um, we have over the years um, done, you know, increased um, income via short-term rentals. Um, we have online courses that I've had um, in the market for the last three years. But if you looked currently at us as a, a percentage breakdown in terms of take-home income, again, so not income that's gained through investments that gets reinvested, um, 99.5% is via one source. So even if, you know, you might de-risk yourself by, you know, saving a bunch of money or having the, uh, you know, emergency fund people talk about so much, but you're still fully at risk meaning, meaning if that, if that income source goes away, like you're in trouble. And so over time, let me put it this way. You would rather have 
10 income sources giving you $1,000 than one income source giving you $10,000. That's the easiest way to look at it. It's hard to pick up all those over time, um, or it can be difficult to generate even, you know, $1,000 depending on the time period, but say it's 1000 a month. Um, that takes a while to build something like that up. We have not yet been, you know, successful at doing that. But if you lose one of those, it's a loss, but it's a 10% loss in this example versus 100% loss. So that's another diversification. Like we've, we've experimented with that. We did more of that when we lived uh, in Texas. We will get into it here more so over time. The last two things I'll, I'll combine together, we talked about them earlier, but around diversification, which is diversify skill set. So, you know, it could be as simple, like you could, t- I call them macro skills. Like these are the, these are the skills that you go out into the labor force or the workforce and actually get a job doing. Maybe you're a computer scientist. So you become, you're a, you're a programmer at a company, you're a carpenter. So that, that's, those are the skills that you actually employ to exchange that human capital for our financial capital. But there's all these micro skills, and those are the ones we were really referring to earlier. Like, I'm, I have no intention of going to be a plumber or a car mechanic myself as a profession or as a trade. But learning some of those skills, diversifying the portfolio or the toolkit that you have, um, will be, you'll make you better off for all the reasons we mentioned earlier. The last one I'll say, and I did a video on this, I think, is diversif- diversification of identity. And this is really something that trips a lot of people up, especially those that actually reach early retirement or financial independence. Um, they reach that that mark or those numbers and now they're, hey, I'm retired. Wow, look at me. I'm 40 and I'm retired. And a lot of them actually go on, they have to go on another journey where they search for happiness. They lost a lot of happiness. Part of that is because maybe they didn't think of the end from the beginning. But part of it is because so much of their identity was wrapped up in their profession. Maybe they're a, a senior something or another at their company. Their title is a director. Ooh, you're a vice president. Look at you. And you're in a company and people revere you. They give you respect and they give you honor. And then that, that, that job title comes with perks and all kinds of things like that. And so like who you are and the value you give yourself is reliant on that. So in, in the same way we're talking about your income can be like all your eggs in that one income basket. Well, your identity or your self-worth can be all in that one basket as well. Well, over time, you want to like kind of divvy that up, if you will, that no, you're not, your whole life isn't focused on or your whole self-worth isn't um, bottled up or contained within a title at some company or, you know, even for Julie, like it's not a hundred percent about being like a mom right now it's it's so over time like the things we do and maybe you could say hobbies you do or how you spend your time you're just diversifying that such that if one of those things goes away if my job title goes away or the kids are eventually like in school full-time and so like you know the exceedingly full-time job that julie has is not like what she's doing day to day like it could be like an identity crisis maybe it's not maybe it's like hallelujah you know, but it's just another one to think about of di- diversifying. Give us a closing, some closing thoughts here. I don't think I have any closing thoughts here. Yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of what I mentioned earlier. We are, we're obviously in the journey. We're not, we are connecting the dots. We have a little bit of time in this journey, about 18, no, it's actually about 14 months um, into this journey 
Um, so we have that amount of time where we can, you know, look backwards and connect some of the dots. We obviously are not speaking from a position of look at us. We're in our thirties and we're early retired, but we're on the journey. So these are some of the principles. Again, we think they are universal. We think even if you, you learn a little bit about our situation and you say, man, I'm nothing like those people. Uh, I don't care about what they care about. I don't have a job like he does, or I don't, we don't have kids. We, I I think that the principles we shared, um, even if that's true that you look at us or listen to us and say, like, we can't even relate to those people, um, I think they still apply. If you can relate to the concept of not having to do necessary work until you're in your 60s, if that resonates, then I think the principles we talked about can apply to you. And it's just like you have to look through your own concrete situation. It could be the situ. it could be a scenario of, well, uh, step one is figuring out what do I spend every month? That could be step one. Or it could be like you have a solid data-driven budget. You know exactly every single line item. And you're looking at how much you save and it's 15 or 18%. And you say, well, I want to be intentional about how much I'm saving. So I'm going to experiment for the next 30 days to see if I can increase my savings rate from 18 to 25. Like those are multiple principles we just spoke about that you can employ or apply today. You're like, oh man, like um, we need a new piece of furniture. Or even if it's simple, something more simple as, man, my my jeans just ripped. Now you're not going to reach financial independence by patching holes in your jeans, but it's going to give you a mindset shift to say, well, maybe actually I'm going to see if I can learn how to sew. It's just a it's just a mind shift that gets you into this mode of of self reliance. Um, I'm going to actually say, well, just as a thought experiment, if I received a lot of money today, or I snapped my fingers and now I was financially independent, what would I do today? What would my life be like? Think through that. How much of that can you actually do today while you're working or while you're still, you know, employed? Um, so I think that's it. That's all I would say. Um, I think just one thing is it's a journey. And I think that's something to keep in mind. If you have never considered this or if you're like Gary said, like you're, you know, you're on track and you're moving forward and you're looking for more tips, just start with one thing and then kind of just allow yourself time and opportunity to figure out, you know, what direction you want to take with it. Because it can take many different forms in many different directions and everyone has a different path. And finding your your end game is it's about you. What do you want? And I think just taking it slow and realizing it's a journey and enjoying the journey along the way and not make it a suffering, make it an enjoyment. Because actually fixing things and learning new skills has been a lot more fun than I ever would have imagined. And it's like, if you were going to throw it away anyway, it takes all the pressure out if you screw it up because you were going to throw it away anyway. <laughs> I did that with my daughter's shoes that she couldn't wear them. They weren't possible to even be worn. And so I just was like, well, if they, if I can't fix them, I'm really in the same spot that I was before. But if you can, well, then you save some money, you learn something new. And it's actually really rewarding when you can learn a new skill yourself and do it yourself. Gary and I, I think, enjoyed actually fixing things around the house and challenging ourselves. What can we learn online to figure out how to fix this problem? And it was, it was rewarding for us and we enjoyed it and it was good bonding experience. All right, folks. So uh, let the journey continue until next time. Have a good one.